Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtained some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to Beer Mighty Things. Cheers. All right, welcome in to the Beer Muddy Things podcast. This is your host, Kyle Reiner. Today, I have the uh, owner of River Horse Brewing in uh, Ewing, New Jersey, Chris Walsh. Chris, welcome. Thank you. All right, well, happy to have you. Um, you have a interesting background. Um, you were not the original owner of the brewery, and you come from an investment banking background. So how did that all come about? Yeah, so the brewery started in 96. Three brothers started it. Um, up in Lambertville, um, and they ran it till about 2007. Um, I do have a partner, Glenn Bernabeo, and I were in uh, investment bankers together. Um, my, both of our careers, we have very similar resumes um, in that, you know, we sort of started in commercial banking. Uh, he stayed in commercial banking. I went to GE Capital and sort of did a bunch of different things. Wound up at the same investment bank and. We, we did that from 2001 to 2007. Um, we wound up selling our firm um, to another bank out of Cleveland. And since we had both come from the banking background, you know, the commercial banking background, suits and conference calls and rah-rah team meetings and policies and procedures, we sort of knew that our time was limited. So we started looking for something else to do. Um, and looking for a business loan. So we had, you know, the kind of investment banking we did was distressed. So these were companies that were, we weren't liquidating them for, you know, breaking down the, the material, uh, the equipment or anything like that. We were selling them as a going concern, mostly in bankruptcy. So we had seen a bunch of companies um, fail for, for crazy reasons. And um, at 2007, Riverhorse was struggling. And we thought um, it's a business that we understood. Uh, you know, manufacturing, it's really manufacturing, right? Domestic yep. manufacturing of a consumer packaged good. That's really what it is. So we felt like we understood it. You know, we didn't, we weren't tech guys. Um, we just looked for something that, um, you know, couldn't be shipped overseas easily. Uh, you know, something that we could get to every day. We had like some criteria and this just happened to be on the market. And the person representing the company actually was somebody that we previously worked with. So, Okay. Um, it was like having your little brother sell you something. It was kind of a kind of a fun thing. But um, yeah, so we thought, you know, we, we looked at the business and there's a bunch of mistakes that they kind of made that we thought, um, you know, we could improve upon, um, you know, going forward. So we took the leap and bought it in 2007. Okay. And that was in Lambertville. And then you're in Lambertville until, is it 2013 when you then moved to Ewing? Yeah. And what was the reason behind, you know, the move? Was it growth, expansion, space? It was a little bit of everything. The, the, the place in Lambertville was, was a really cool, quaint building. And um, quaint means expensive. Uh, if yeah. that's code. In New that's, Jersey, right? Yeah, well, that's, that's code for, for expensive. Anything that's quaint is expensive. Um, so it was an expensive building. It wasn't efficient at all. It was sort of, uh, we were operating on two floors. Um, four different rooms of different ceiling heights and it just didn't really work so we we knew day one that we'd have to eventually move and we grew it to the point that we were maxed out capacity wise um, you know the town liked us to a point 
but when you start having tractor trailers rolling down streets, um, you know, it, it got to be, you know, a little bit difficult to do. So um, it was time to move. Yeah, and you have uh, quite the fortress now, right? Don't you have uh, some some gates? Yeah, and... yeah. So we went to twenty. We went from ten thousand square feet on two floors. It really operated like maybe seventy five hundred square feet to twenty four thousand, just straight up one big square um, with yeah. high ceilings. So yeah, so it was. It had to be done. I mean, it was crazy. Lambertville was crazy. Everybody loves the building except for anybody that worked there. <laughs> So. Hey, yeah, it's cool to look at, but you know, to live there, you know, they don't know what it's really like. Exactly. Interesting. So now, do you? What was the the brew house size in Lambertville? It's the same same brew house. Okay. Um, we it was a two two vessels. It's twenty five barrels. It was two vessels in Lambertville, um, and we you know went back and forth, and that's what we brought over. And when we moved, you know, one of the lessons that we learned from talking to other people was when you move, don't try to expand at the same time. Don't try to add a bunch of stuff, move, get your feet underneath you and then do some things because, um, moving's hard enough. I mean, especially moving a brewery and yeah, it was my first time. So, you know, and we, we had a tight budget, you know, we, we G seated ourselves. Um, you know, we, we didn't have a GC in there. So we, we did it. Chris Rocco and I did it ourselves which is an incredible amount of work and, and a lot of F words and, and a lot of frustration and sleepless nights, but um, we did it. And, you know, then we started, so it was a 25 barrel. When we got in there, we, we added a, a whirlpool to it. So now it's a three vessel, much more efficient. And we just sort of started tacking things on from there. Very cool. So now as far as that, that footprint, are you pretty much, is it full? Oh, no, no. So the way life works, as soon as we moved and got our feet underneath us, you know, the growth sort of leveled out a little bit in the industry. Just so many breweries came online at the time. So we built it um, to do roughly 75,000 barrels a year. So all the infrastructure is there, all the piping and everything. Um, We've added some 100 barrel tanks, you know, got a bunch of hundreds and 40s. So all out, if we went hardcore, we could probably produce 18 to 20,000 barrels. Um, so we've got a lot of room. Um, you know, we've got, it's built for 20, I think 20, 20, 150 barrels fermenters and 450 barrel brights. So that's a lot of beer. It's a lot of water. A lot of energy. Yeah, it's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of everything. So that would require a 50 barrel brew house and all that. But it's there. The, the the we sort of built it, you know, for them to come. So now, if you're looking to do those, you know, sixty thousand barrels, essentially seventy five. Is that when you're doing five days a week, twenty four hour days shifts? I mean, that would be pressure. yeah, that would be three shifts. That would be you know, kind of yeah. balls to the wall. But that market isn't there anymore, um, especially after. I mean, who knows after this? I mean, it's. You know, when when we started in 2007, I mean, there was straight up 13 breweries in New Jersey. And now I think there's 106 was the last number that I heard. I, I don't, you know. Um, now, a lot of them are, 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 are more the tasting room concept with a little bit of distribution. But still, you know, in aggregate, it's just a very different market. Yeah, the whole model changed. You know, it was packaged goods going to the beer distributor. And now it's, you know, I'm going to the brewery and it used to be, Hey, I'm going to fill up my growler 
and now you don't even see glass anymore as far as package yeah. goods for the most part. I mean, I know you guys are still bottling, but I'm doing the cans now too. It's just, uh, yeah. you know, even in six, seven years, it's changed dramatically. Yeah. I, the more I, you know, I, every conference call I'm on, I joke that every day that goes by, I feel like I understand this industry less and less. I really, you know, and then you throw things in the, you know, the fatty things, um, which, you know, there was the, the, uh, alcoholic sodas for a while. Yep. Um, you know, there was, um, you know, seltzers, I don't think it's a fat. I think that's definitely sort of something that's here to stay, but there's these trendy things that, you know, some stick and some don't. I mean, there were, you know, um, you know, all these different IPA trends and, you know, just trying to keep on top of them. I'm starting to see that kind of revert back to that West coast IPA that everybody used to love and, you know, that Pliny and how that all started. And then they moved away. And I don't think the new England style will go away, but I am seeing more of the, um, that West coast, more clear IPA come back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's, um, I sort of dole that out. I'm not an IPA guy. So um, I do watch it from a market perspective, but Glenn's really the IPA guy that, that okay. keeps on, keeps on track of what's, uh, what's cool and what's not. By the time I hear about it, it's already not cool again. So. <laughs> well, it's good. So, you know, then, you're, then it's just a fad, right? So, yeah. So You had mentioned Chris helped you move the brewery. He's the brewer. Is he yeah. still the brewer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he's uh, he's been, I think since 09, he's been the head brewer. So in 10 years, yeah. Now, how do you manage that? Because, you know, you see sometimes folks sit in the same position for 10, 11 years. You know, what drives Chris? Does Chris, you know, sometimes things get stale, right? Uh, how do you keep them motivated? How, is he self-motivated? How does that all go? Yeah, no, it's, uh, he, he's, it's pride for him. It's, it's pride. And it's, um, I only get in his way, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we, we, we have a very collegial sort of um, approach to things where, you know, what's going on in the market versus what, you know, what we have in our lineup. Um, yeah, he, he just wants to make the best beer possible. And he's, you know, that, that's, that's the driving factor. Because when it comes right down to it, you know, you can have a cool logo and uh, a slick sales rep and all that, but it's really the liquid. So, yes. And I would absolutely say, I mean, from drinking your beer for 10 plus years, I mean, there's consistency to it, which, yeah. which is hard to do. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. Cross styles too, which is, you know, that's, that's the one thing. And the biggest compliment I pay Chris is he's a complete pain in the ass. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have it any other way. So there's, there's one way to do things really. I mean, he, he's, he's, you know, we've, we've done a little contracting, um, and he, he just acts almost as a consultant to a lot of these contractors where he, you know, he refines their, their SOPs and, and gets things straight for them and they're, they're making a better product after it. And, you know, also knowing the system, right? Cause it's not just taking a home brewer's recipe or any recipe, you have to kind of tailor it to your system and having Chris knowing his system. Well, I think that's beneficial for the, for the folks you're contracting for. Oh, it's huge. And, you know, we don't have a test, you know, we are, we don't have a test batch system. I mean, I would, I would love to at some point, but, um, you know, we do homebrew batches uh, basically, and then tweak them and, and ramp them up. And it's, it's not linear. So it's not a, you know, it's not a science. It's not a complete science, pure science. There's an art to it too. Um, you can't just, can't just triple the recipe ingredients, you know? Yeah, no, no. So um, that's something I would do, <laughs> which is why, which is why he's in charge. That's why you're an yeah. investment banker. And I'm yeah, an that's why I'm a, I have a different office. So yeah. 
but yeah, so, you know, he's been great. Um, love him to death. So, so how many barrels did you brew in 2019? 2019, I think it was around 10 and a half, 10,000, 10,005, something like that. What do you, I know, obviously, you know, before coronavirus hit, what was your projections for this year? Right around there. I mean, okay. you know, the, the way the market is, um, just being realistic of holding on to things um, is, is sort of, you know, it sounds very un-American and not capitalistic, but it felt like that was the realistic case is just to, to hold our own. Um, and, and, you know, what, what we try to do is we try to make our cores, um, you know, it's an interesting thing where, you know, this, this virus played into a little bit of what, um, you know, our strengths were as a brewery or it, the reverse is it sort of eliminated our weaknesses, I guess, in a way that, you know, we, we, we did a lot of on-premise business, but it wasn't, um, we weren't hugely reliant on it. Same thing with the tap room. We, you know, our tap, our tap room does well, but it's, it's, you know, it's a percentage of the overall take. Then in terms of the beers, you know, we're doing the one-offs, the seasonals, the occasionals, the specialty, whatever you want to call them, um, you know, the latest and greatest, but we do have a solid core. Our number one beer, um, it, it is, it's astounding to this, to me, but it's, it was first brewed in 1996. It still still stays steady. That's strong. It's a twenty four year old beer. So you you do a beer now, and even if it's great, you know, six months, you know, a year, you know, that curve is so shoot, boom, get you know, get it out, move it in, move it out. But Triple Horse has been around for twenty four years, and it's still our number one. Hmm. And what's the ABV on that? Nine ten. plus. Yeah, it's every bit of ten. So the street name is Cripple Horse. So it's got a cult following, for sure. And it's you know we value price it so. You know, you, you're a hipster, you do the math, um, three beers, split a six pack with somebody, you know, it's, you're good to go. So I remember in college, I went to Westchester University and, you know, we're right here next to um, Victory and we had realized, oh my God, we can get Golden Monkey, right? The triple. <laughs> yeah. oh, wait, I can get a nine, 10, 11% beer, have three of them and I'm good for the night. Holy. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, that's the math. Yeah. Value. <laughs> I used to have a buddy who we'd go out and grab a beer. He's like, all right, which one has the highest ABV at the, you know, in the middle price and I'm getting value. It's almost like getting two beers for one. Right. Yeah. Now it's, now it's a different game. I'm a little bit older. So I, uh, I go to that ABV column and look for a five. So. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking to that point, you have a new beer coming out this week. Uh, do we? Uh, the blonde. Oh, the blonde. New, yeah, new. No, uh, yeah, blonde's twenty some years old too. So yeah, that's coming out. Yep. Um, so that'll hit. I think Jersey. And that's gonna be in that probably what five percent range. It's four and a half percent. Yeah, it's, it's the lawnmower it's a, beer. It's the lawnmower beer for sure. I, it's it's a lot of people's go to. We've got a uh, a hazy pale coming out too in a, in a little bit um, called Launchpad. Um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that does. It's, it's one of those limited run kind of deals. Um, it's it's a year, you know, for us, for our planning purposes, it's a year round beer for us because it fits into that hazy sort of, uh, it's a pale, but, you know, hazy, hoppy. Um, more body to it. Um, yeah. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. It's a weird time because a lot of places aren't taking new beers, quote unquote, you know, brand new beers. They're taking things that they've had before, but not... Um, you know, not brand new. So they're not, they're not trying new SKUs essentially. Yeah. 
to that point, you know, in the size of your batches, I mean, are with these shutdowns, I mean, we might see some issues with like out of date beer, out of code. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're managing that. I mean, I think that's a huge issue in the prior to this. That's a huge issue um, in the market anyway, you know, constant, constant struggle with retailers. Um, You know, a lot of the beer on the shelves, um, unfortunately, a lot of it is coded. So, um, you know, we're trying to move that out, get fresh stuff in there, but it's a, you know, it's a tug with the, with your wholesalers, um, you know, just too many selections and not enough velocity, you know, you're down to, um, you know, it's, it's an issue. It's an issue now and going forward, um, for sure. And I think too, that what I've seen is like, you know, somebody goes to say a Wegmans or, you know, ShopRite in New Jersey, wherever, and they, they pull a four pack, six pack off the shelf. Um, they love it. They rate it high on whoever cares app. They don't really matter, but, um, they loved it so much, but now next time they go back to the store, they don't buy it again. So no. like, how do you, how do you combat that? Like, it's a killer beer, you know, it sells well, but it's not a repeat buy because there's so many options. People just, and then kind of, Oh, where are the hops in this? What's the ABV? Is it hazy? And what's the label look like? I'm going to take that home. Yeah. And they take it off their, uh, their list. And it's like a crime to drink the same beer twice. I, I it's, it's a difficult thing. And I think it's an interesting for somebody like a legacy brewery like us, you know, it's been around for 20 some years, Trogues, Victory, you know, those types where half of our clientele or more is one generation, you know, sort of, you know, Gen X. And then you got a, a, the millennial sort of generation. So you're, you, you got this, this, you know, bifurcated marketing, I guess, is the way to look at it where, um, you know, we're not the new and shiny brewery, you know, so we're, we're, we try to combat it with really, you know, sort of um, promoting our legacy beers and saying, you know, Triple Horse is still a really good beer. It's been around for X and it's a lot of people's go to. And then you've got the new latest and greatest that we know people are going to try at once. So it's really it's managing your inventory and having an arsenal of beers to come out with um, and then managing that through the through the chain where, you know, you, when you, we got to sell it three times in, in a way, like we've got to sell it to our wholesaler. We've got to sell it to the retailer and then we've got to sell it to the consumer to get them to, to grab it off the shelf. So that, you know, we try to, we realize that you get the opportunity for each one of those sales once and you just want to be as efficient as you can and, and, you know, cluster things as much as you can. So you get their attention, you put it out there and you see how it goes. I mean, they're, you know, it's, it's a crazy business where, you know, I know people that own restaurants and their menu is fantastic. Their food is fantastic. The, the, the location is great. The build out is great. And it just doesn't work and no one can explain it. You know, and then you've got a rat hole in Philly that, you know, is putting out, you know, sandwiches and they're killing it. So, you know, it's, it's one of these things where these beers, you think they're going to do great and they, they do. Okay. You worry that it's not going to do well and it takes off. It's like I said, I don't really know that much about this business. <laughs> so, so how do you guys pivot in that situation? It's like, Hey, we got a killer beer and it didn't perform. You cut it and move on. You know, you, you stop doing it. Um, and you, and you move on higher, higher slow, fire fast. Absolutely. You, you, you have to, um, you can't get emotionally attached to it. You can't get pissed that it didn't work. It just didn't work for some reason. Um, you know, we found weird things that happen where, you know, um, you know, we'll, we'll do a beer and 
and one person will say, oh, I think it's too sweet, for an example. That gets out is like, well, this beer is too sweet. And that's what gets stuck to it through the whole process. So it's sort of dead before it starts. So we're very careful about the wording that we choose, um, you know, when we release things, the, the, how we position it. You know, that's, that's all key because, like I said, you get, you get one shot at someone's attention. Correct. Yep. You know, you have a first, yeah, one shot at a first impression, essentially. Yeah. How many employees do you have at this point? Uh, because of the recent, um, all right. So, so the a PPE, month ago. Yeah. 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 No, because of the, I had to do all these calculations for those government loan programs. Yep. We averaged 24.7 per month. Um, okay. the majority it's probably split 50, 50 between tasting room and full-time production. So the production guys are probably 12, 13, 14, something like that. Yeah. And I think that your model, you know, you're used to the distribution model and the margins there. Um, they're clearly not as much as somebody who's relying on just tasting room all day long. Yeah. I think that probably puts you in a little bit of a better position, at least from, a, you know, a planning standpoint with what's going on right now. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, we, we talked to other breweries and other breweries that, you know, it's it's, you know, the, it represents, you know, they're heavily reliant on their tasting room, say it represents... 20% of their business, but it's 40, 50% of their cash flow because of the margins. Um, so it's, we've learned to live skinny for years. Um, and, you know, it's in a weird way, it's sort of everybody else is in the boat that we've been in for a long time. So, um, you know, and some of the, you know, distribution breweries know, know what I'm talking about is, you yep. know, it's, <clears throat> it's low margins and waiting in a lot of cases and PA is different, but you know, 30 days for your money, which is, it's tough in the beer business because it's, you know, it's a 30 day product. So you're, you're out for 60 days. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I saw some sort of stat that said, you know, most um, small businesses carry about 27 days worth of cash. Um, so when we start to see this slowdown, I mean, that, you know, it's, it's a uh, uncharted waters, you know? Yeah. I, I, you know, that, that stat to me, uh, you know, it's probably, I would say that's a little bit heavy, to be honest with you. I feel like 27 days is, is a, would be a fairly comfortable position. You know, and the other, the other thing you got to think about for a brewery is it's, it's manufacturing, right? So um, just, you know, the other day, uh, you know, $900 pump or a motor on the conveyor belt for the, for the labeler, you know, $900, but it's something every week. Wear and tear wear and tear and it's, you know, you pop up and these are vendors that you don't have credit terms with. So it's, it's a, it's a COD, it's a credit card. It's a, you know, it's a cash expense today, or you don't make your order on Friday. You know, your $15,000 order doesn't go out because of this $900 part. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, and it, it just eats cash. I mean, those silver, they're silver and shiny and they look nice, but the whole thing just eats cash. Yeah. I do love stainless. <laughs> what uh have you had to you know take a look at some force majeure clauses regarding hop contracts something like you know what what have you been yeah. seeing? Are you having trouble getting cans bottles um you know the one concern that we have right now is is co2 i've heard um i've heard that's sort of the thing now okay. um cans and bottles no at this point i mean i've heard cans are flying out but i think I think when this thing hit, there was a, you know, I hate to use the word surge because it's been used a lot for this week and next week, but 
it was a big surge. Um, you know, everybody sort of bought what they needed to buy, both both on the supply side and and the customer side. People stocked, filled their fridge. People bought, and, and I think things have chilled out a little bit um, in terms of most of the packaging uh, or most of the raw materials. Hops, you know, hops have been an interesting sort of uh, progression over time because for for there was a the hop shortage years ago. Um, where they, uh, you know, just absolutely busted everybody's balls about contracting. So everybody contracted as much as they could, and then the market turned around, and a lot of the big brewers were putting the hops back, and they, you know, they had more than they knew what to do with. Um, so the dynamics have changed so much, and now, um, I, you know, who knows? Um, so we just, we've always just try not to ride the waves. We just are like, okay, well, we need hops. We've got, we'll work it out. You know, we're not going to pay for hops that we don't need just because there's a quote unquote contract with it. Um, and we have the same conversation sort of every month, but um, it is what it is. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, the thing I've always enjoyed seeing is the breweries, Hey, I need X amount of hops or, Hey, we have too much, you know, who wants it? Come get it, pick it up. Yeah. You know, um, we all work together, you know, as a team and that's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. What advice would you give? I mean, you've seen the peaks and troughs and the changing in the market over the last 20 plus years. Um, what advice would you give to a brewery that's say like in planning or recently open? I mean, you know, in planning and it's not being cynical, but I, I would think long and hard about um, opening, to be honest with you. Um, it's, you know, this market is brutal. Um, getting shelf space is, is really tough. You know, the, the, the fickleness of the public when it comes to a tap room, um, you know, if you, if you're in a beach town or something, you know, it's a seasonal business. I, I just think really long and hard about it. Um, breweries that are just open, you know, it's, I mean, timing is everything in life, right? Um, you just have to, you know, it, it's a lot of work. You got to continue to, to one thing that I think we need to do better at. And I think I would, tell other breweries is that you know that model whether they distribute or not it's a really a customer business you know if you're you know I, I, to kind of go around the tiers and really appeal to the customer ultimately because we spend a lot of time managing our wholesalers and I would guess that a self-distribution business would spend a lot of time managing those retailers which is great you know that's part of it but you know appealing to the ultimate consumer because that's the vote, right? That's the vote is when you sit down at the bar and you go, I'll take that. I'll take a river horse triple. That's ultimately, you know, or they're cruising the shelves and they're either they're looking for you or they see it and they've heard of you. Um, something to get them to, to, to select you. That's the focus. I mean, you know, and I think, you know, I see a lot of breweries or talk to them that they have their styles that they like and, they're going to make those styles because they think the rest of the world should like them too. And that's, that's not how it's, it's not how the game is played. It's um, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to do English, you know, ESBs and try to tell the American public, this is what they should be drinking. Pack it in, man. Cause you know, it's, you know, you got to find the craziest hop you can. And that's the, that's what, you know, and some fruit that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> that's the that's the key to success is to know all of the exotic fruits. That's <laughs> I went to the store recently with my daughters and uh you know a lot of breweries will throw dragon fruit into their beer. Sure. And you know the beer is always pink. 
and I go to the store, I get a dragon fruit, I cut it open, and it's white with black speckles. And I'm like, what the hell is this? This is not at all what I expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. No, I, it's crazy. We, um, we actually are putting out an IPA with calamansi in it. Yeah. No idea. Me neither. So but, I'm like, but guess well, what? I'm I'm probably gonna try it. Yeah. So it's a it's a fruit that on the outside it looks like a lime, on the inside it looks like an orange. I don't know. I don't know what the hell's going on. But it was supposed to come in, but it comes from Vietnam. So it's like the I have the book behind me, Freakonomics. It's like the cover yeah. of the book. Right. Yeah. So the um, so it comes from Vietnam, and they had some labeling stuff with FD. So that's postponed till the summer. But yeah, it's know your fruit. And you know, dream up hop names. I guess uh, you know. I don't know. What We're do running out of beer names. We've, we've, yeah. We've, our first IPA, we called it Reverse IPA because we just it was all the puns were taken. And I actually looked up um, River Horse in uh, in Swahili, and it was actually freaking taken. The word. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it was like some some bay. It was like. Um, Caboco is the word, means river hippopotamus. And somebody had that. Somebody already had it. Unbelievable. Can you tell me about the hippo real quick? What's up with the hippo? Hippos rock, man. Now the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the hippo. They're vicious, man. They got one of the what, strongest jaws in the, in the sea. Yeah, they're the, they're the most dangerous land mammal in Africa. They kill more people than anybody else. And, um, I've learned as much about hippos as I have uh, about um, beer, you know, in the last 12 years. And we've been very fortunate to go to the Philly Zoo every year and feed them. They're amazing animals. But so the hippo, the original brewery. Did they drink beer? <laughs> it would take a lot. Um, sure. they, uh, they, the original brewery was right on the Delaware. I mean, it was literally right off the canal. So it was sort of tied in river horse. But the significance of the hippo in brewing is that the Egyptians, whether you give them credit or not, whether you're in the Babylonian camp or the Peloponnesian camp or whoever the hell you think brewed the first thing, but the Egyptians, whenever the brewing process was represented in hieroglyphics, the hippo was always there. It didn't represent brewing, but it represents sustenance because it was a loaf of bread, right? Liquid, liquid loaf of bread and fertility. So mm. it was the God Seth. It's the God Seth. So um, that's how it went on. So yeah, so it just ran, but um, but we we like to think you know we sort of joke around that it, that our branding is sort of like a hippo in a way that um, if you look at it like it it looks kind of goofy and like it's not finished evolutionary wise like it's still got something to do like it's you know it's kind of like a funny looking but you know at the end of the day it's super serious about being a hippo so we sort of. <laughs> try to try to keep ourselves, you know, light and poke fun at ourselves and enjoy it. But at the end of the day, we're super serious about the product that we make. So um, it's weird that it sort of worked out that way. But yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of them. They they are really pretty amazing. I love it. The one thing that's crazy about them is they're vegetarians, right? So they eat, but they'll so when they kill something, they kill it just to kill it. They're not going to eat it. So they kill a human. That's how they're just pissed, and they just they just kill the person. That's it. It's not for food. Wow. It's just purely spite. And they also will, you know, if when they're crossing the, you know, the in the Great Migration when the wildebeest and zebras and everything, they'll actually help them cross the river. They'll actually attack crocodiles that are trying to attack them because they want to deprive the crocodile of a meal. 
I mean, they're they're crazy. So bullies, man, just bullies. <laughs> just rage filled. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Wonder what happened. Like, so something had to happen way back when that just pissed them off, and then you know their parents have taught them to always be angry and they yeah. carried on the tradition. You know. Well, the the other I get so I get like weird. I get a lot of strange. I used to more than I do now, but like, you know, biologists or whatever hippo experts or the trainer at Philly Zoo, and it turns out that they're their closest living relative, most people think it's a rhino or an elephant. It's actually a whale. Hmm. So, I was say like a walrus, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's a whale. So uh, my head's still spinning over that one. But um, yeah, I don't know. Their family tree is a little strange. Chris, I've learned way more today than I expected. <laughs> really? <laughs> It's great. This is like an episode of Discovery Channel. <laughs> next time, uh, next time we go to the zoo, I'll shoot you an invite. Um, I love it. Yeah, they're you know we got to feed them watermelon. Yeah, we have a uh, you know we do the season pass it pays for itself in one and a half visits. You know. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, it's a great place, and they're super nice. And we do the watermelon beer with them every year. So yeah, had that. Yep. So what uh, what what are you drinking this weekend? I actually, um, I'm on the wagon or off the wagon, whatever that expression is. I, um, I had a sorted, uh, last few months health wise where in the fall, I, uh, my appendix ruptured. Um, so I, uh, yeah. And then they, they fixed me, but they, uh, had the B team or the C team of surgeons. So wound up with a, a leak. Um, so I went into septic shock. So I was in, uh, ICU. I was in the hospital for seven weeks. So I was in the ICU for, for three on a ventilator. So, uh, it wasn't great. Um, so does not sound great. Yeah. No. So I had to have a, uh, I had to use a bag for a while. I had an ileostomy and I just got that reversed in the beginning of the month. So, um, and reconnected. So my, my colon was reconnected. So, um, propel, uh, is what I'm what I'm drinking this weekend and peppermint tea. Some electrolytes. Yes, yeah, some peppermint tea. Those are my two go-tos. But if I were to drink a beer, um, you know, we're coming into that summery season, man. A half a, you know, um, something like that would be probably what I'd reach for. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Love it, love it. Um, now, How about you? Uh, so <clears throat> I have uh, East Branch Brewing down the street for me. Okay. Really enjoy their, uh, you know, they're doing the delivery. So I gave up beer for Lent. I gave up all alcohol for Lent. And, um, you know, I guess the bishop says it's cool to drink or to, to do your, <laughs> do whatever. So I went, I went 38 days and then I was like, all right, well, the bishop says it's cool. So yeah. Yeah. So, so I'll crack open an IPA. I'll crack open a pale ale. I have some stouts. Um, you know, weirdly for some reason I do, enjoy me a Michelob Ultra. I try not to tell people that. <laughs> I had a great, um, when I first got in the business, I, you know, was trying to learn as much as I could, you know, it's like going around to these, these craft beer bars, these guys that are, were way ahead of the curve guys like Scotes, right. You yeah. know, and he's, he was doing this when people were, you know, like, what was, what's that fancy beer you're drinking? Um, you know, and, uh, I asked one of the guys, I said, well, what was, what's your favorite? And the guy said peels. <laughs> nice. And I said, I laughed because, you know, I'm like, I had plenty of peels experiences. And I was like, nah. And he's like, he's like, look, it's the beer that got me laid for the first time. So how can I say anything bad about it? Uh, that was pretty funny. You know, and then he went off about, 
these crazy Belgian beers that I, I literally couldn't even pronounce most of the brewers' names. But um, so I always thought that was funny. It was kind of like a nostalgic thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Awesome, man. Well, uh, anything uh, you'd like to promote? Anything coming up? Where can we find? Yeah, where where can we find you? Can we get your beer? Are you guys delivering? Do we do in curbside pickup? We're we're starting delivery next week. Um, okay. We just sort of figured it out. Curbside pickup. We're doing it. Um, we ask that you call ahead, but we've got no one's coming in the brew. We got sort of a table set up right inside the door. Okay. Um, we'll we'll grab what you need. Um, can we order online and pick up? Nah, nah. We're um, we're not that advanced. You can send us smoke signals and, you know, Morse code. We can do those. But That's pretty good. You'd probably be the only one who could do that. <laughs> yeah. No, so, yeah, so we're just, um, you know, we've got Summer Blonde is coming out in PA, I think, next week. Jersey is this week. Um, you know, just keep an eye out for us. We're in all the grocery chains, um, a lot of the wholesalers. Uh, you know, we're sort of everywhere to some extent. Um, but yeah, can't, we can't wait to be open, back open up and see people in the tasting room and sort of feel some sense of normalcy. Do you think it's going to be like a mad dash back to the tasting room? Just like asses, the elbows, everybody going crazy. I don't, to be honest with you. I think people are scared shitless, to be honest. Um, you know, I think there'll be a trickling in, uh, you know, getting out of the house. Um, and you know, my, my, not my, I wouldn't say it's my concern, but I, I, I think we all have to be cautious in the business about, you know, restaurants and bars and, uh, you know, asses to elbows, nuts to butts, whatever the saying is, I hope to God for these restaurants and bars that it's that that's the case. Um, but I, my concern is that when we as a country, when our behaviors change or we're forced to change, something has to force us to change back. And I think people are cooking at home and they're drinking at home. Um, you know, they're looking at the money that they're saving, quote unquote, um, and they're saying, you know, well, I'm going to go out and spend a lot more money. And holy shit, I, I don't understand this virus. You know, someone that had it, are they carrying it still? You know, I, there's there's a lot of questions about cleanliness and, you know, people that are asymptomatic, pre-symptomatic or have had it. So I think people are going to be cautious, you know, once the once the gates are open. Um I hope they continue to support, you know, uh, takeout of restaurants and bars and, um, you know, the curbside pickup thing, you know, I'm, I'm doing as much as I can, but, um, we'll see, I, you know, who, who knows? I mean, that's a frustrating thing is people, I got all these people predicting what's going to happen, but, I, but they didn't predict that we were going to have this massive pandemic. So I'm like, okay. So yeah, now they're experts. All of a sudden. Now they're experts, right? These market, these, these stock market guys, I, I can't take it. They're going to tell us where the bottom is. I'm like, you didn't see this train on the tracks coming at all of us, but now you know what direction it's going. So Yeah, so, you know, I kind of have a uh, financial services background coming from an annuity and mutual fund right. world um, before, you know, you know, my prior life. And, um, you know, I still follow all that stuff. And, you know, when the stock market's at 28, 29,000, then you're looking, I mean, that's overinflated. And it's like, we were due for a correction and this just kind of happened to push us there. And you know, almost like with the beer market too, it expanded so fast. It's like, is it going to pop? Like what's, you know, this yeah. just gonna, this might just bring us back to where we should have been in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I agree it was inflated, but this is, this was a, this is just a death blow. Um, right. Yeah. You know, and I think people, you know, the market rebounds a little bit and then, um, you know, I, it just, it, it's not, it's fits and starts, you know, it'll have, it'll have a bump for a day and then it'll be back. So, 
we just need some a little bit of certainty and i think a lot of people felt like we'd have some certainty at this point and we don't i mean i think you, you hear the surges coming you know don't you know don't go the next week or 10 days or whatever don't even go to the grocery store if you, yeah. if you don't absolutely have to and i get it but it scares the shit out of people yeah I'm yeah scared. so you know it's, it's different uncharted waters that we just don't know yeah so. Cool. Well, hey, man, I appreciate your time. Uh, no, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Best of luck to you and your team. Uh, your health, personally, does that, uh, being in the hospital and, and your procedure, is that something that is uh, making you maybe more susceptible to a coronavirus? Or? A, a, a little bit um, in that I'm still, you know, I'm healing. So my body's using a lot of energy to do that. So I'm not immune compromised. I'm just tired. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm good, man. I feel good. Uh, you know, I uh, I'm, I feel lucky. You yeah. know, I got I when I I get, they gave me last rites and medevac me from uh, St. Mary's to Penn. So wow, you know, every day's a holiday after that. So I, you know, it's we'll get through this too. And uh, yeah, it's just crazy. But uh, same to you, man. You know, appreciate the time. Um, you know, stay inside, stay healthy, all that, especially with the little ones. Yeah, I mean, we're finding all sorts of new ways to get creative, building stuff in the house. We, kids, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, you got like three-level pillow forts. <laughs> oh, we got zip lines, front door to the back. Like, man, we're having fun. You know, right, that's cool. all, we, all we can do is control our mindset and um, keep positive, be grateful for what we have versus what we don't, uh, you know. Yeah, I it just saw, I don't, I watched 60 Minutes. It's sort of the only show that I watch religiously. Do you watch it at all? This week no. they did. I have. It's it's been a while, honestly, since I've. It's honestly been a while since I watched like any TV. You know? Yeah, so I think they. It's not political. It's just good stories, and it's in like season fifty-two or something. So they must be doing something right. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, but they did a story. Um, I think it's USC Spielberg something tied in where they're um, interviewing uh, Holocaust survivors for like a week at a time, they're asking them like 2000 questions each. So they're there from nine to five for a whole week. And um, the whole point is, and they're videoing it all. So they're using artificial intelligence so that you can interview these people forever, right? Never forget. So they're gonna save this. And you start listening to somebody that was in Auschwitz, right? She was one of the twins. She met Dr. Mengele, he did experiments on her. Living in Auschwitz and you go, okay, like, they all say the same thing. It's like, it really is your, you can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose mentally how you approach it. And it's, it's, you know, it's 75 years ago, 70, whatever, 78 years ago, but it's still the same thing. You know, it's, we're not, our lives are on the line to some extent, but it's just take a chill. Everything's going to be okay. We'll get through this. Yeah. All we can control is how we react to it. Yeah, absolutely. So Speaking of that, there's a fantastic book if you haven't read it um, by Viktor Frankl, uh, A Man's Search for Meaning. Read it. You read it? Yeah. 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 Logotherapy. Oh, yeah. 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 He's an interesting. That's exactly right. You know, I was the book was great. I actually listened to it, but the um, I wish it was more the second half of the book than the first half because it was like a lot of Auschwitzy stuff, which I, I had just listened to or, or read a lot about. So I was like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he, he definitely paints a picture, you know, I think that's part of it. And then they start to dive into the, the psychotherapy of it. Yeah, but the, I mean, the book summed up is, you know, you, you, 
I mean, his contention that a lot of people chose whether they're going to live or die based on their attitude yep. is, is just, it's pretty powerful to think of the circumstances they were in. I mean, I'm pissed, you know, that we're pissed at the toilet paper, what's happened with the toilet paper and they, they didn't have toilet paper for probably years. So yeah, crazy. So, all right, man, we'll take care. Hey, thank you. You do the same. Talk to you soon. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you find this valuable. Please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. And while you're at Apple, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get noticed among the craft beverage community there. Thank you. Cheers and beer. Mighty things.